everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast video for the crime fiction genre. I'm pleased to bring you an interview today with Barbara Fradkin, who is the author of the Inspector Mike Green mystery series, as well as a couple of new series, uh, one featuring an amateur sleuth by the name of Amanda Doucette, and another in the Rapid Reads series brought out by Orca, featuring Cedric O'Toole. So please look up Barbara Fradkin. Barbara's background was in child psychology, so you're going to see a true empathy in her works. It comes through with blazing, uh, guns blazing in all of her works. There's a, a highly human element, so look for that when you're reading her. And if you haven't been introduced to Barbara Fradkin yet, I strongly encourage you to go and find her. And uh, like me, like you, like all of us, uh, Barbara Fradkin has been dealing with the current COVID isolation situation, which um, we're hoping we'll have a vaccine for one day and be able to get right back into the swing of things. Um, she'll mention at some point that she was at uh, a Crime Writers of Canada AGM meeting last night, which was all online. So I'm sure this is something that we can all relate to. We're all meeting online. We're all hosting online. We're using things like Zoom and Teams and uh, whatever we can get our hands on to be a little less isolated. If you're an author and you think that you would like to be interviewed on Dead to Rights, please contact me. You can send me an email anytime to carrickpublishing at rogers.com. And in the subject line, please say Dead to Rights interview. And uh, I'm definitely always looking to meet new authors. So don't hesitate just because you don't know me. If it doesn't uh, fit, I'll, I'll let you know. But if it does, I'll be pleased to have you on. Thank you for that. I also want to chat up a little bit about our upcoming anthology, which is coming in the fall, and that is getting closer. It's titled A Grave Diagnosis, and we've got a fabulous lineup um, of authors who are going to be featured in it. Um, it's going to have crime stories from many of your favorite authors. So I want to send a quick thanks out to everybody who contributed stories. Your stories are really wonderful. They're very welcome and uh, greatly appreciated. Our readers are just going to love them. And now, please welcome to Dead to Rights, Barbara Fradkin. Good morning, Barbara, and welcome to Dead to Rights. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Donna, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I wanted to talk to you in particular because you are an author of several different series. Right. I think most notably is probably your Inspector Green series, but you've also got series involving a protagonist by the name of Amanda Doucette and one by the name of, is it Cedric? Cedric O'Toole, yes. Cedric O'Toole, thank you. Yes, yes. yes. Um, what, what made you veer into so many different directions? Well, I started off with the Inspector Green series, and I think when you're a writer writing a series, you end up in the um, head and in the company of your main character and his friends and family all the time. And mm -hmm. I spent 15 years with him. Mm -hmm. I spent from, because there are 10 books in the series, and uh, uh, you know, when you're writing a novel, you are arguing with your protagonist, you're thinking about them while you're unloading the dishwasher, walking the dogs or anything yes. else. You actually spend more time with them than you do with your real family. Yes. And um, after 10 books, I felt as if 
I needed a trial separation from I just wanted to write something different. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the green books have been very popular and I've enjoyed writing them. Um, but they're all set in Ottawa, mm -hmm. which is, and I've been able to explore all parts of Ottawa, which has been interesting because most people don't realize there's a lot of complexity to the city. Yes. Um, nothing to do with Parliament Hill. I don't put politics into the books at all. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wanted to explore a little farther afield, explore other parts of Canada. Um, I wanted to create a different style of story. The green books are police procedurals, so that's a very um, specific kind of a, a story. Mm -hmm. No matter how you stand it on its head, it's still a police case that's being investigated. Um, I wanted to write an amateur sleuth style story, which is more freewheeling and... Um, I wanted a female protagonist, yes. having spent 15 years with Mike Green. And uh, so I decided I would create a different series for that reason, just to break out and try something new. It's been lots of fun. And can you tell us a little bit about Amanda Doucette before we go any further? Yes, she's, she's an amateur sleuth. Well, that's the term that, that's used in the business for a, a, a person who has no business investigating murders. Mm -hmm. They stumble upon them usually in the course of their other jobs or their other life, and they are compelled for one reason or another to investigate them. And um, Amanda, um, I wanted an adventurous, when you have a sleuth that, that's going to solve problems that she shouldn't be doing, and get herself into situations with where she might be challenged that way. You need somebody who's passionate, self-driven, independent, resourceful, um, and somewhat anti-authority. Because otherwise, we, why wouldn't she just phone nine one one and be done with it? Yes. Um, and if you're going to keep her working instead of going to the cops with everything she finds, then you need somebody who's a little distrustful. It took a long time for me to come up with Amanda, who's a uh, international aid worker who was working in Africa in Mali at the time of the um, at the time when she had a traumatic experience, which was based on the um, Boko Haram kidnapping of the schoolgirls, mm -hmm. that real life event that happened a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And like all like all writers, we are always thinking, okay, but what if or what's going on? What's the story behind this? Mm -hmm. And I thought, when I read that, I thought, well, what about the people who couldn't save the children? Mm -hmm. the, the, those that were working in the village, the aid workers, the teachers, the, the um, parents and the villagers, mm -hmm. they have to carry that. They yes. have to deal with the trauma of that, which in addition to being, um, not failing to save the children, they also, burned down the village and murdered hundreds of villagers. So it was very, very scary. Mm -hmm. So that's Amanda was fleeing that. <clears throat> and she came back to Canada. She needed a new direction. She was too traumatized to figure she could go back into the trenches like that. Mm -hmm. So she uh, came up with this cross-country charity tour idea, which was kind of based on Clara Hughes' Big Bride, if you recall mm -hmm. that a few years mm -hmm. ago, went across Canada. Yeah, raising mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had Amanda do that, and um, it fulfilled her need to help people, but also got her across Canada, which was kind of yes. cool. 
Yes, and you're kind of jumping ahead of my primary question okay. for you, Rob. Right. But before before I get to that, well, no, let me let me since you're filling in the gaps, I might as well ask it. It's about your background because I know that uh, in your pre-writer profession, you would have had an awful lot of uh, hands-on experience with mental health issues and anxiety and uh, PTSD and all of those kinds of issues. And uh, you're already starting to answer the question how that plays into your characters and your situations. Uh, yes, when I was working um, as a psychologist, I'm actually a child psychologist, so I always saw the damage that was done to children and to their families uh, sort of cope as a result of that, because I always started with the child referral. Um, and I always felt that children are the canaries in the coal mine of our society. Actually, mm -hmm. we're now finding that old people are also the canaries in the coal mine of our society. But um, society, if it doesn't protect the children, it's the damage is there from the school perspective, from the justice perspective, from the family um, welfare protection side as well. Um, and I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of very tragic stories involving children. Um, and very frustrating as a professional not to be able to fix their lives. Yes. So one of the neat things about writing books is you get to play God and you get to fix mm -hmm. the best you can or create the best possible outcome for things. Yes, yes. Um, so I played out a lot of my own frustrations and my own observations and thoughts. Mm -hmm. into especially in the earlier green books um mm -hmm. which dealt a lot with all the themes that i saw in my profession yes. obviously I didn't i didn't deal with actual confidential cases but i borrowed the ideas mm -hmm. and the observations mm -hmm. i'm just going to interject something you say that you can't fix their lives as a as yeah. a child psychologist but as somebody who lived through those as a child I can tell you that any kind word made a difference. Oh yeah. Yes. So I think you probably did make a difference. But I know what you're saying about now in the fantasy world of fiction, you can go much further than just the kind word or that leaves a lasting impression, you know? Yeah, I can murder people. Yes, you can get rid of the baddies. <laughs> Please do. There's too many of them. <laughs> I also found it very satisfying because um, as a psychologist, you have to be um, conciliatory. You have to be understanding and compassionate and trying to build bridges between people mm -hmm. um, and uh, understand where they're coming from, which is a big help in creating fiction, by the way. Mm -hmm. That power of empathy is, makes a very strong fiction writer as well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I could never ever get mad at anybody in my work. I'd sit in a meeting and I'd want to leap across the table and strangle somebody. Yes. Or yes. say, how could you possibly do that? Mm -hmm. But you can't. You have to try to listen and figure out where they're coming from. So even you couldn't even yell at principals or children's aid workers or anything else. You just yes. had to listen yes. and, and try to help. So um, it was very satisfying to have Inspector Green haul people down to the station Mm-hmm. them and accuse them of being a liar and whatnot. It was lots of fun. Yes, yes, I can imagine that. I can imagine yeah. that. And I bet you, um, I bet you that Amanda has some fun too. But tell us a little bit about Cedric O'Toole. 
How did he arise? When did he arise? And what does he get up to? Well, Cedric O'Toole, that series is part of the Rapid Reads um, series that Orca book publishers created for um, what they call reluctant readers or emergent readers, people who are not strong readers or who don't have the time or the patience Mm -hmm. or or their English isn't good enough. So Orca had been very good in that field with children, but thought, well, when these people grow up, they need something to read so we can mm-hmm. hook them into more lifelong reading. So Orca, I love this part. They sent letters out to uh, crime writers of Canada's um, more experienced writers mm-hmm. and invited them to describe what they wanted them, the concept of the series and asked them if they were interested in dreaming up a pitching a story mm-hmm. um, and they said the reason they chose crime writers is because we know how to grab a reader we know how to engage a reader in a fast-paced interesting story yes and you need that if you're going to hook in um, a, a reader who's not a, an enthusiastic reader mm-hmm. so um, I thought well that's fun and I and, and the reason I thought of Cedric and I was I was deep in the head of Inspector Green at that time and and I would not normally have chosen another man protagonist, but from my work, I knew that a lot of the learning disabled and reluctant readers and people who didn't like to read were boys. Not to say girls didn't, but didn't have trouble, but it was more common that a boy would have no interest in reading a book. Um, So I thought I need a man and I need him to be somebody these guys can identify with. So I created Cedric as a, in himself, although I never didn't describe him this way, he has a learning disability. He doesn't read well, but he's very magical with his hands, which is another quite typical thing for, mm-hmm. for active kids who are not good, strong readers. They are very intelligent in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very creative and he uh, invents things and he has a dream that eventually is going to have an invention that'll make him some money mm-hmm. never does of course but that doesn't matter so he's how he has a farm i wanted to make it rural because um green was so city-based mm-hmm. so i just wanted something a bit different so he's rural and he's a young um handyman organic farmer trying to make a living in eastern ontario Mm -hmm. that's him and now there have been four books in that series but I'm not sure there'll be any more I'm not sure Orcus found that um, a very easy sell in terms Mm -hmm. of developing a market for it right right he he sounds like a great character for the the young adult and early adult crowd I mean sounds like a really terrific character yeah yeah and and actually that's one of the um, markets that they have discovered they didn't pr- play to that, but actually middle school and high school kids can read these books. They're usually fairly clean. Mm-hmm. and um, Just gritty enough to get the attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, today's <laughs> kids read pretty gritty stuff too. So. Yes, yes, they do. They do. But that doesn't mean we have to, you know, I mean, I can understand why Orca would have wanted to keep it just a little bit cleaner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got four of the Cedric O'Toole. Right. How many Amanda books? Well, there's three currently out, but there, the, the fourth one is all written and it's all in its past layout. It's into 
production, but then the pandemic happened. Yes. Um, and so it was supposed to come out in the fall. And with the our advanced reader copies going out in the spring, but they pulled the whole thing back about four, four months mm -hmm. um, because they said, number one, they couldn't launch it properly. They couldn't market it properly. Mm -hmm. And number two, there were delays in, in, in printing and other mm -hmm. elements of the process that they couldn't, they couldn't get the, the business. Exactly. exactly. I'm hearing this from writers over yeah. and over that, um, you know, certain things have been delayed. Um, uh, one, I think it was Maureen is uh, between things anyway, so she's fine. But um, a couple others have said to me that they were just out of stage and uh, it's been delayed. And uh, the, one of the reasons I wanted to do this series as video and sort of rejuvenate the, the Dead to Rights is because with the situation we're in, it's almost like I feel a need to record it for writers. Everybody's out recording it for all these other fields and industries, but nobody is recording it as it relates to writers. So I wanted to get us down and how it affects us and how we communicate. And you had mentioned earlier that you had the AGM meeting last night for the Crime Writers of Canada, and uh, that was all online. So that's just one example of the many things. Yeah. How has it impacted your routines in terms of your, your writing? And It's been an evolving thing. First of all, when, when this first hit, I think a lot of us were very anxious. We were scared about, especially those of us in my age group, um, I, you know, we were all told to uh, stay away, to self-isolate, don't go out, find somebody to do your grocery shopping. And, mm -hmm. and um, none of that is possible for me, besides which I'm much too adventurous. I couldn't stay cooped up if you mm -hmm. tried. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I live in an area where um, I can go out and walk and I have two dogs and so we're out for long walks all the time. But I was mentally very distracted. I was unfocused. I was spending a lot of time reading news articles and listening to the prime minister and, and looking mm -hmm. at the data. And it was not it was not very conducive to actually drilling down into a story. And I'm, I'm actually right in the middle of the first draft of the next Inspector Green novel. Okay. That's where I'm at right now. So that's a very creative process. It's, it is. You it gotta requires think focus. You, yeah. got, you, got, you got to have two or three hours of sustained focus mm -hmm. in the story, your head in the story, to, to write that. And I just couldn't do it. I was fluttering all over the place. And I was, I, I didn't get around I'm to watching. I'm smiling because I heard this exact yeah. same story so many times. <laughs> That's right. Well, I found that we all did that. And, and actually, I couldn't read very well either. I mean, novels. I could read the mm -hmm. news and whatnots, but I couldn't let my brain escape into a fictional world. Mm -hmm. um, as we've come to understand where this is going and how it's being handled and how everybody's reacting, I've been much less anxious about it. And I've been able to return to my, to my writing. Um, still not perfect, but it's it's enough. Unfortunately, I have fairly long time till the deadline, which is in the fall. So, uh, good. I, it's way to, way out there. <laughs> yeah, I can afford to be. The other thing that's happened is that I'm the kind of person who researches very thoroughly mm -hmm. um, because I don't want people to <clears throat> um, distrust if they see something that I've gotten factually wrong. 
they're going to have a lot less belief in the whole story. First of all, it yanks them out of the story. But secondly, they'll think, oh, well, all the other things she says might not be true. Yeah. Um, so I research a lot of things and I haven't been able to do that because, uh, for example, I wanted to go to the courthouse mm -hmm. to, to prowl around and to witness um, a, a trial. <coughs> and um, I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's sort of invented and it's waiting for me to be able to go and do that. I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. And another thing I research a lot are, are police um, procedures and locations of places that I'm writing about. And I can do the drive arounds into the countryside for this story. But um, I don't really feel like I can pop into an OPP station mm -hmm. and ask them about a fictional murder in, in these times, in, in this kind of an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just seems a bit... They would probably love the distraction from their own concerns, but I hear what you're saying. It would it would be inconsiderate. It really would, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm having to wait around till a lot of this stuff settles down. I'm hoping it does settle down a little bit in the fall, and then I'll have time to fill in the things that I've just currently invented. Yeah. The, the writers I enjoy the most are the ones who do a lot of research, even if it's not peppered throughout the book, you know, like, like gunshot, um, it still shows like it's, it's there, the, the, the confidence which with, with which the story flows is based on the amount of research that's done in advance, isn't it? Yes. And also you discover um, concrete, vivid details when you research mm -hmm. that you can put in the book, which, which kind of elevate it. And I have one example that I often think about. A number of years ago, I was writing about um, a little girl who'd been molested by her teacher. And um, she had to go on trial, like she had to, to testify at the mm -hmm. trial. And I wanted to talk to somebody from the sexual abuse and child abuse unit at the Ottawa police. And in those days, you could do that. You could phone up and say, can I meet somebody? And, and I met um, a sergeant at the local coffee shop, and he talked to me about the process and the frustrations and whatnot. So that the mm -hmm. policeman's perspective became much more, more vivid for me. Yes. And, and I was actually much more compassionate about them than my original depiction of the cop, which had been fairly um, lackadaisical. Mm -hmm. um, and, but one of the things he described was a little girl who was on, in a trial when he was he, that he was involved with and she was too small to see over the top of the witness box Aww. so they got a phone book and they and she sat on the phone book so she could be visible above the uh, railing and i thought that's such a vivid little detail it really is so much it really about, is like getting a haircut except you're talking about a violation of your body and spirit, you know? That's right. And it, and, it, and it sort of symbolizes how inappropriate adult trial settings are. And the whole concept of an abuse trial is mm -hmm. for a child. Um, yes. So I, that went into the book. Those that is really good. Things. That's a very good example. Yes. Yes. And I know, I mean, I really miss that, that part as well. Um, just being able to get around and put yourself face to face with the kind of people that you really need to talk to. You yeah. know? 
So where where is Inspector Green going in your newest book? What is it? You've got great titles, by the way. I, I've been remiss. You've got Blood Ties. You've got, um, I don't want to turn away too much. Um, tell us yeah. a couple of your titles. I have them here, but I don't want to turn away. Well, I have, I, I, th this is my favorite cover. Um, I, I don't know if you can see, well, it's upside down. Fifth Son. No, you had it right. Fifth Son. That's a great yeah. title. Oh, it's inside out in my camera. Isn't that interesting? That is terrific, yeah. Yeah, I love this cover. Unfortunately, Dundurn um, updated up, I guess you'd call it updated, um, renovated, whatever, all the titles of my original books. So, uh, not titles, but pictures, covers. So that's no longer the cover, <clears throat> and I don't know why. <clears throat> um, but Fifth Son is one of my favorite titles. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of them are very easy to come by, like they pop into your head right away and almost before you've written the book. Honor mm -hmm. Among Men was one of those. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing a, a newspaper interview and the, the, uh, on the phone and the, and the reporter asked me, so what's the title of the book, your, your next book? And I didn't have my title yet, <laughs> but I just said, it's honor among men because I knew it was about the military. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so then I was kind of stuck with the title, but it works very well. Yes, yes, and it's a great title too. Yeah. I just find that that uh, going through your title list, and for anyone listening, please look up Barbara Fradkin and go check out the title list because they're terrific. And uh, this is one of the marks of the really good writers is that the titles are memorable, they're short, they're to the point, and they, they are really almost poetic, you know? Well, what I think about a title is that it's kind of the cherry on the top of the cake. Yes. It encapsulates, it should encapsulate in some way, the story. Um, and until I have the perfect title, the story doesn't feel complete. Mm -hmm. um, I sometimes have a horrible time. I don't have a title for my next Inspector Green, for example. I was gonna ask. I have three different possibilities, but every one of them, I feel, gives away too much of the resolution of the story. So you have to be careful about that, too. You, know, mm -hmm. you, want, mm -hmm. you want it to be intriguing, but you don't want it to point to anybody in particular. Yeah. Or give away a major plot point of the story. Mm -hmm. so, <clears throat> there's where I'm stuck at the moment with that one, but it'll come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes it comes out of the writing and you're writing away and you go, that's a cool phrase. Mm -hmm. And you think that's the title. Yes. Which is actually what happened with Fifth Son. That's happened to me a number of times. I've had a working title that I thought was brilliant. And halfway through the book, there was a phrase that just really did encapsulate. Yeah. 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 So that, that's perfect. But what does he get up to in this one? Well, this one, um, this is number 11, and it's, it's after a gap in my writing of probably five years. I'm not sure since the last green came out. So I've made him that much older. I've mm -hmm. let five years evolve. And this one deals a lot with his, with his daughter. He has a daughter who, when, he, when the series, when she was first introduced to the series, she was... Um, uh, newly arrived from the West Coast where she'd been raised by her mother and she was very angry about everything. Her, her Green didn't know her at all because mm -hmm. her mother had taken her away as a baby. 
Um, so they had to build a relationship in which she was extremely untrustworthy, untrusting and um, very resentful of him, had her mother's perspective on him and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and he had to figure out how to get to know a 16-year-old girl who was supposed to be his daughter. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the series sort of evolved through she her 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 story evolved through the um, series, and in this book she's a rookie police officer with oh, the Ottawa. Oh, outstanding! I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, so we come full circle. Yeah. We do, and we and I get a, a woman into the ranks, which is good, and I have a, quite a lot of things from her point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Inspector Green, as you can imagine, is actually spending most of his time, time trying to get her out of trouble or, or head her off or solve her something that she's created. Mm -hmm. um, he's not actually in major crimes anymore uh, because, because of something that happened in the last book. Okay. Um, so the previous book to that, this one, I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's meddling around when he really shouldn't be, which is another fun thing to do with him. He's, he's mm -hmm. a character who will do that. And uh, some of his colleagues from the previous series, from the other books, are still in major crimes. So he's kind of liaising with them and causing interesting troubles. But I haven't actually finished the book yet, so I don't actually have, know how it's all going to resolve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you have a bit of a direction, but uh, sometimes they surprise you, don't they? Yes. Well, I usually don't know where I'm going completely. I don't, I have some ideas about who, who is going to be the characters in the stories. I find su suddenly I add characters who I thought were going to be walk-ons and they end up major. So that happens. And, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know where I'm going for the whole story arc. I usually know figure out a little bit ahead at a time. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So at this stage, I'm probably um, maybe two thirds, three quarters of the way through the book. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I, I have a fairly good idea now who done it. I didn't know before, but I now think I know who done it. Okay. And I don't know how they're going to get caught. That's the big. Yes. That's the big thing. That's that's the the final hook element. Yes, right, yeah. <laughs> you have to work in a way that is a surprise for the detect detectives as well as the reader. I don't know your Amanda character, and I don't know your Cedric character, but I do know Mike Green is a very human fellow, if nothing else. Um, who was your very favorite all-time character that still resides in your mind in all of fiction? throughout your life. It could be someone you encountered at any point in your readings. Just the character that made the, the grandest impression on you. Ah, I often, I get asked that kind of question, like what's your favorite author? What's your favorite book? Mm. Um, Just your character think, and why. I think, I think uh, some of the British author, um, British characters like Adam Dalgleish, um, the and and Peter Robinson's um, DCI Banks. Yes, these yes. are kind of um, very thoughtful, intelligent. Um, they they they're compassionate as well. Mm -hmm. They're somewhat they're somewhat they're somewhat 
troubled by all their years of what they've had to go through, but they're mm -hmm. still hanging on to that humanity. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, yes. Well, that's why I wanted to ask you the question that way. I'm not at all surprised by your answer because it ties, ties in lovely with your um, Inspector Green character, you know, same kind of element, same kind of, I've been there and done that, but I guess I'll keep doing it because maybe the world still needs me in some way, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. Now you have a couple of very interesting paintings on your wall or pictures, maybe they're prints. Um, do you have an artist in the family or are they just something that grabbed your notice? Well, actually, I don't know what can be seen, um, but in this, in this room, um, they're not, the ones you can see directly behind, this is not a, uh, there are two artists in my family, my late husband and my mother, my late mother. Mm -hmm. um, so I have lots of their paintings, but we also loved buying, and I loved buying art wherever I traveled to, if mm -hmm. I could lay my hands on it. Not expensive art. I never paid attention to, in fact, I couldn't afford expensive art, but mm -hmm. I would go to, to um, like this one over here, which I don't know if you can see uh, there. Yes, yes. Manitoulin Island. Oh, um, yes. Uh, I recognize it, yeah. That's Georgian Bay, and, and I was there for a uh, writer's um, festival a number of years ago, and I dropped in and bought that. And we have things from pretty much everywhere. And my husband used to paint where we traveled to as well, so I have mm -hmm. some of that. Mm -hmm. um, the one directly behind me we bought at an auction, well, probably almost 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. so that There's a bit of a tie-in, I think. I mean, Alec and I find this, and uh, when I used to get blocked writing, we would go out to the art galleries and uh, just look. And like what you said, we never really could afford to buy expensive art, but um, we would often pick up little things here and there that just pleased us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's really important because all of the arts tie together. So if you, have a, if you find pleasure in the visual arts, it can really help. I think yeah. unblock and music too. Music too, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we um, we have mutual friends who love to go to plays, who love to go to ballets. You know, it's all of a theme. Right. And for me, it's visual arts, it's paintings, it's you know, that sort of thing. Every time I look at one, I remember the struggles that the artists had. You know, <laughs> it makes the writer's struggle seem okay. You know, this is bearable. <laughs> Especially as most of the time, by the time they actually made any money, they were dead. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Of course, the same could be said of me. <laughs> But that's okay. Barbara, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much. Stay, stay with me after we're done, too, just for a sec. But thank you for joining us on Dead to Rights. And thank you for inviting me, Donna. I want to thank Barbara Fradkin for joining us today on Dead to Rights. It's always great to hear from a cross-section of insights from our crime writing community. But before I let you go for the week, I've promised to do a quick public service announcement related to COVID-19. So here we go. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Information about children with this disease is limited, but they are known to have mild symptoms. Many organizations are responding accordingly, depending on their area. It is best to stay home and away from others, especially when sick, 
and continue following healthy washing hands guidelines, covering mouth and nose, and not touching your face or high-touch surfaces. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Thank you. And my special thanks, as always, goes out to our producer and composer, Ted Carrick, for all the help he's given me on producing a wonderful author interview series, Dead to Rights. And I hope we'll see you next week for another great author interview. Thank you for joining us. Dusty road, a man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. We'd never be in the same boat for free, yet it rides, let it ride.